uh, we're in Titus chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me. Last week, we once again learned that uh, sound doctrine, it's sound doctrine that leads us to Christ-likeness. Sound doctrine leads us to being lights um, in the darkness. Sound doctrine leads us to being salt in a decaying world. And Paul is writing to Titus, who is on the island of Crete, because Crete desperately needed some light. Crete desperately needed some salt. It was a culture decaying. And I think we can all relate to that because as we look around our own American cultures, we look around the world, we see people, we see a culture that needs light. We see a culture that needs salt because there is decay happening. We see people who need hope. We see people who need a foundation under them because their lives are crumbling and falling apart. And so in Titus chapter 2, uh, Paul actually singles out some distinct groups of Christians there on Crete with specific instructions uh, that he offers to those groups. Remember, Paul had spent time on the island of Crete with Titus before he leaves and then eventually writes his letter. And so he understands the dynamics of the generations and the groups of people. And so he writes specifically to them. And it's my job this morning to help us understand how that relates to us not on Crete, and 2,000 years into the future. And so let's look together, Titus chapter 2. We'll just start in verse 1. We're going to look at mainly verses 2, 3, and 4 together today. But it says, But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And here we go in the groups. Older men are to be sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so to train young women to love their husbands and children. And we'll pick up there, but let's pray together before we get started. Father, what an incredible time of singing an opportunity to worship you. I'm so grateful for those who led us. I'm so grateful, Lord, for, for just the recognition of what Christ has done that's already taken place in our service. Help us now as we learn from your word, as we just sang. Lord, I, I, I believe that's the intent and prayer of our heart that you would speak what is true. And Lord, that your truth would change us as we consider it together today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to begin with four introductory points uh, before we look at the text together. As we think about these categories of older men and older women, the first thing I want to point out is this, that Paul is addressing Christians. He's not addressing just older men and women in general as that category or generation. He's addressing older saints, people who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And he's writing to them, to uh, what qualifies someone to be an older saint? Uh, some of you are waiting for me to step into that trap. Who, who's older and who are we pointing at? Well, I think there's a good consensus amongst biblical scholars. The idea of being an elder or an older saint describes a person whose children have left the home. Uh, someone who has uh, launched their kids out into the world, that is what is considered the older generation. It's hard for us to discern that because in this day and age, they launched kids out a lot earlier. Uh, kids were leaving the house when they were teenagers and, and beginning families and moving into a, a new chapter of life. Life expectancy wasn't that long either. And so we're talking about people who could have been in their late 30s or 40s are ones who are being qualified here as the older man and the older woman. 
But being older, whether that's 40, uh, whether that's 80, the point is it's not an excuse to settle. It's not an excuse to hit the brakes and relax or use the word that we often use, retire. Just as we suggest oftentimes that, that young adults, they're in that, that prime position in life to be of service to Christ uh, because they don't have the constraints of a family, so too are those older adults whose families have now been launched into the world. They are in a prime position. Moses was 80 years old uh, when the burning bush came calling. Uh, MacArthur writes a little bit about John Wesley, and I've read some of these things about John Wesley, and I... I thought it challenging to myself. John Wesley, the founder of the, the Methodist Church circuit riding. But at the age of 83, after having traveled some 250,000 miles on horseback, he preached more than 40,000 sermons and produced some 200 books and pamphlets. Wesley regretted that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day without his eyes becoming too tired. After his 86th birthday, he admitted to an increasing tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. Oh my. I realize, okay, Wesley and uh, Moses, those may be some extraordinary examples to put up. And it doesn't take the extraordinary. It takes those who want to be faithful. Consider the own history, our own history as a church. I've shared this before some of you it will be new to, but in the mid-90s, this, this church was struggling significantly. They'd gone through a series of pastors, and there was opposition inside of the church, and there was a lot of infighting. And, and it really came to a head in 96 and 97, and in the summer of 97, uh, there were a group of, of widow ladies who were keeping this church operating. Until later that summer, uh, uh, a professor at a Bible college locally would come and, and take the church and invite a bunch of Bible college students like myself and my wife out to do some ministry uh, in the fall of that year. But for months, there were a group of ladies who took up the offering, who gave the offerings, who paid the bills, who did everything they could to keep this church moving forward. They prayed earnestly that God would bring revival. And he did. And he continues to do that. I want to show you a picture of these ladies. Uh, Kate, if you don't mind to throw that up there. Um, this isn't all of them. I'll start on this end. This is Frida Eichert, Florine Brashears, Helen Majors. That's uh, Pam and Jeff Copes. They were the pastors that came in 97. Bonnie Mast and Edith Walker. Some of you know them. Some of you have known them for years. These are ladies who were just faithful to show up on Sunday. They were faithful to pray together. They were faithful in the latter years of their life. I had the privilege of, of getting to know them. I had the privilege of performing the funerals for most of these ladies as well. As a matter of fact, there's, there's fun story and I don't know how much I should tell, shouldn't tell, but um, I wanted to get to know these ladies when I first joined here in 97 because I knew they had, they had been dynamic. And so I didn't want to just show up at their house and, and, and say, hey, I, I want to visit with you. I want to learn more about your story, which we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, so I was looking around, who, who could go with me? And I saw this young lady who was also a first-year student at Babs Bible College. 
And I said, would you be interested in going and uh, visiting these ladies? And so that's, that's when me and Faith uh, started connecting and going and visiting these ladies in their home and uh, got to know each other and uh, the rest is a lot of history uh, from there. <laughs> but these ladies are extraordinary. It was a couple weeks ago that after the service, um, it was just a special day that day and Mitzi came up to me and she said, Edith would have liked that. And I, I, I thought, yeah. I said, what about it would she have liked? And I think you said, said the, the music, the spirit, just the, the tone of the service. And I have to say to that, amen, these ladies prayed for you. <laughs> Not even knowing you. We can pass that on as we consider the future. Special, special ladies. Fourth point I want to make before we look at the text. Scripture calls us to honor our elders. It calls us to that. Godly older saints who bring strength, stability, and wisdom to the church should be cherished. In Leviticus it says, you shall rise up before the gray head and honor the aged. It's what we're called to. And I see a problematic fracture happening in our own society and culture along these lines. In general, we no longer honor the elders. In general, we no longer seek wisdom from the elders. We no longer cherish the elders. That's outside of the church and so often inside of the church as well. Youth dictates the flow of culture. You know what the age demographic is that runs everything? I'm talking about what's on TV, fashion, uh, what advertisement you get, 18 to 25 year olds. That's what dictates the flow of our culture and everything around us, 18 to 25 year olds. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you 18 to 25 year olds. I'm saying there's something wrong in our culture and I'm not sure we in the Western world can, can turn that ship around again, but we gotta try. And we within the church must be obedient to what Scripture calls us to. We have to learn from what really the Eastern world has gotten right for far too long to honor those who have gone before us. And so with those introductory remarks, we now consider Paul's specific instruction to these particular groups. Uh, we get to enjoy it by way of the inspiration, the preservation of the Spirit as we look at these things that were written to them years ago. And so let's begin with the older men. First, older men are called to be sober-minded or temperate. And when we think of being sober-minded, we think of that in contrast or the opposite of being drunk. And that is part of it, but the meaning is broader. It means to be clear-headed. They need to be thoughtful. Uh, the older men need to be balanced. One author offers this explanation that the temperate older man is able to discern more clearly which things are of greatest importance and value. He uses his time, his money, his energy more carefully and selectively than when he was younger and less mature. His priorities are in the right order and he is satisfied with fewer and simpler things. What is he saying? In other words, he walks according to wisdom. He's learned what it is to navigate through this life and what matters and what doesn't matter. 
That's what the older men are supposed to be. Second, they're called to be dignified. They're men who are worthy of respect, men who don't act like clowns or children, but they're dignified and honorable adults. And it doesn't mean that they can't have a sense of humor. I think that's another red flag if you've got an individual who doesn't have a sense of humor. But the dignified man doesn't laugh at immorality. He doesn't laugh at vulgarity. The dignified man doesn't treat the pain of others lightly. In fact, I want to read this. Listen to this explanation that's given by an older saint. He says this, Older believers have lived long enough to see many people, including good friends and close family members, experience serious misfortune. They've lived long enough to see them suffer great pain and perhaps die at an early age. They may have seen a spouse or a child suffer leukemia, or some other form of cancer or debilitating disease. They've learned the value of time and opportunity. They better accept and comprehend their own mortality. The imperfections of the present world and the inability of material things to give lasting and deep satisfaction. They have seen utopian ideas fail and have learned how short-lived and disappointing euphoric emotional experiences can be. Even those of perhaps especially those that purport to be of higher spiritual order. So to my younger friends, I hope you see why we must always learn from the generations before us. They have a wisdom that we don't yet have. Third, we find once again this quality of self-control listed, and I'm not going to add much to this particular point because we've dealt with this in the fruit of the Spirit, and, and the main point that I would make regarding self-control is it's in each of the groups that's listed here in Titus 2. It doesn't matter who you are. He says you should be self-controlled. That speaks volumes to its importance on the island of Crete. Speaks volumes to the importance of self-control in our own culture and in our own lives. And finally, we have not one but three concluding character qualities that are listed. I think this is so pastoral. And my final point is three points. Uh, that's the idea that we see here because older men are to be sound in faith, they're to be sound in love, they're to be sound in endurance. And so you remember, to be sound is to be healthy. It comes from that, the, the Greek word that we, the word we get from the Greek word is hygiene. The idea of being put together and healthy. And so Paul instructs the older men, have a healthy and robust faith in God. Trust him. Older men lead in what it is to trust God. Those who have lived a long time have tested time and time again the faithfulness of God. And I think of the stories I would listen to that those ladies would tell. And never once did he fail them. Never once did he break covenant with them. And so young people, we listen to their stories. We learn from the stories of the older. We glean from their life. Let their stories of God's faithfulness strengthen your own faith as you consider who he is and what he's accomplished. And older saints, share those stories, please. Talk about how God's been faithful. Help the younger to, to get a sense of who he is and what he's accomplished in, in your life. And you may think, well, my life really doesn't matter. My story's not that extraordinary. Oh, it's extraordinary, all right. Christ is saved. He'll see us through to eternity. 
Second, not only are we to be healthy and robust in faith, but also healthy and robust in love. Older men are to lead in service to one another. I love how things align. Elaine and Richie were just talking about last week, the story downstairs was about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. If you're following along in the Meadowview Bible reading plan, today's John 13, which is about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so last week, Richie, I guess he went out and put mud all over his feet, and he came back in, and they, they gave them opportunity. They had called a select few up. Who's willing to wash Richie's feet? And they were, oh, no, no, nobody's gonna wash these feet. These are dirty, these are disgusting. But you remember in John 13, that it was Jesus who got down and he washed the disciples' feet. And there was some resistance, but he said, I gotta do it. They let him do it. But do you remember what he said when he got up? And this is the important part. This is the punchline. What I've done for you, you do for one another. And I don't know that he's literally talking about washing each other's feet. He's just talking about the way we love and serve one another. Because in the latter part of that chapter comes that command you're to love one another as I have loved you. And by this love, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Older men, you must lead us in what it is to be of service to one another using your gifts, using your abilities, using your time, your resources to serve the body of Christ. Show us what that is. Be that example of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And then finally, the older men are to have a healthy and sound, a robust endurance. It's interesting here, if you think about it, that Paul doesn't list hope. Because what are the other two? Faith, love, and why wouldn't he use hope? Because faith, love, and hope are the greatest of these, but instead he uses the term endurance. Well, endurance is, is intimately connected with hope. Endurance is more of an actionable term that describes the outcome of hope that we endure. And so why does he choose that here? Because he wants the older men to finish well, to endure, to let that hope drive them to finish well. Wednesday night, Heather tried to steal this point from me on our Bible study. She said, finish well. In a whole other conversation, I said, hold it. No, you're not stealing that. We're talking about that Sunday morning. But if you think about this, finish well. Who's writing this? The Apostle Paul. Paul's an older man now. This is one of the last letters he'll write. The last letter he writes is 2 Timothy, but most believe he wrote Titus shortly before he wrote 2 Timothy. And you remember how he concluded 2 Timothy? I'm going to read it to you. 2 Timothy, you can flip back there. It's only one page, two pages from where you're at. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Uh, older saints and younger saints alike, let the commitment to be sound, the commitment to endure, 
motivate us as well to finish strong, to finish the race that's set before us well. In verses 3 and 4, Paul continues, but he transitions to talk to the older women. He says the older women are first to be reverent in behavior. It kind of makes you wonder what was going on in the churches on Crete. (laughs) You're not being very reverent in behavior. But the gist of the word is this. Be priest-like. Holy. John Stott writes this. He says, it may well be right to suggest that older women are to carry into daily life the demeanor of a priestess who's serving in the temple. Or, as we might say, they're to practice the presence of God and allow their sense of His presence to permeate their lives. Ladies, how would it change your daily outlook? Whether you're working in the home, maybe trying to teach a bunch of kids, or you're outside of the home, you're running errands, you're working in an office, classroom somewhere. How would it change your outlook if you considered all those tasks that are before you, all those responsibilities in front of you, and considered, I'm to do this as a priestess before God? A holy manner. We get a picture of this in Luke chapter 2. There's a woman named Anna who's in her mid-80s, and she served in the temple day and night, serving God, serving people, since she was widowed, and we don't know how long she'd been widowed. And she just serves people as a priestess, holy. And I think she's mentioned for this reason, because of the reward she received for her faithfulness. Remember what it was, Luke 2? She met Christ, the infant, the child. Her and and Simeon is the man who had served faithfully. They have the opportunity before they die to meet Christ who would grow up and pay for their sins. Older women, your moments, your tasks are all in service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Big ones, small ones, are all to be done with that focus and with that reverence in mind. I'm serving my King. Well, the next one, I will combine the the two that are listed. Women are not to be slanders. They're not to be given to much wine. It seems that Crete, like much of the ancient world, had a problem with uh, as the wine would flow too freely, so the lips would flow uh, too freely. And the women had too much time on their hands in some of these contexts. And the words that they were saying were damaging. They were slanderous towards other people. But the older women who are following Jesus must not engage in this, Paul says. And no, instead, older women must refuse to listen to it, much less propagate the stories that are being told, slanderous and demeaning words about other people. As we see from the next quality, they're instead to fill their time ministering to others, using their tongues to teach, to disciple, to instruct. 
Now, before we jump ship, we, we may narrow in on this a little bit. I, I was watching a little bit of Andy Griffith this week. And in the Andy, <laughs> that may be the first amen in the whole sermon. <laughs> in Andy Griffith's show, there's a couple of episodes particularly. But the women would get together at the beauty shop or the ladies' auxiliary or the grocery store and they would, they would begin to gossip and then the rumors would spread from there. Growing up, it wasn't the beauty shop necessarily, even though I did have to get my hair cut in a beauty shop and I would walk there after school and I was like a you know, third grader and there's all these women around and they're, they're still going at it, uh, talking about everything that's going on in the town. But the telephone became the popular means, right? You could talk on the phone for hours and if you had a party line, man, it was free entertainment uh, because you could just listen in on what everybody else is saying. Some of you grew up with those too. But now it's the internet. It's instant. It's social media. And the opportunities to gossip, to slander are right in front of us. And so ladies, be careful. I say the same thing to the men, but, but be careful, be priestesses, because what you post not only represents you, but it represents your king. It represents our church, because we're his body. And so, back to the final piece of instruction for older women. They're called to teach what is good and to train the younger women. In this, Paul makes a, a powerful point, an illustration regarding what discipleship in a church should look like. And he uses this term, kalodidaskalos, uh, which refers to instruction that's noble, in instruction that is excellent and lofty, it's, it's high. And in this context, it includes teaching what is honorable, teaching what is godly to the younger women. Having taught their own children well, older women now have the responsibility to help the younger generation by encouraging them in righteous and godly living as wives and mothers. That's where it gets specific and where we'll pick up next week on this. Verse 3 bleeds into verse 4 where Paul gives this purpose. He says, so that you can, or teach what is good, so that you might train the younger women. Kossenberger writes this. He says, older women are to cultivate virtues not as an end in themselves, but for the purpose of encouraging, training the younger women. There's an intent that God has built in to the generations and built in to the church. And that bridges to, to the last point I want to make. Our call to train and disciple each other. Built into the passage, you can say even the undercurrent of the passage is a clear call to discipleship. Start basically with me here. What does it mean to disciple others? What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is a, is a follower. That's what it is. It's somebody who follows somebody else. We gather here every Sunday because we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. We're learning from Him. We're learning what it is to live like He lived. We're growing to be like Him. And in, in Matthew 28, again, I don't plan these things, but this is the verse for our question of the week. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we find what we know is the Great Commission. And what is it? 
What is the great commission? What is Jesus' final words that he shares with his disciples? It's this, make disciples. Your job is to make disciples, and you do that by going. You do that by engaging the world around you. You do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you do that by teaching them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. You could say it this way, we're training people to live like Jesus in everyday life. What would Jesus do in this scenario? How would he respond? This is what Paul is getting at in Titus 2.4 when he instructs the older women to train and encourage the younger women. And so who's to disciple who? Well, it seems, specifically from Titus 2, that the older are to take the lead in training the younger. And I think you can make a strong case for that. You broaden that a little bit. It's the mature who, who disciple maybe the less mature in the faith in what it is to follow Jesus. But, but in, a, in, a, in a broader and even truer sense, we're all discipling each other. It's the way it works. I can tell you how many times I've had people come to me for, for help, counseling, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, and they're troubled, and they come, and they're desperate, and they say, give me some help, give me some hope, and I, I begin to disciple them. But in that conversation, maybe a prayer they pray, maybe something they say, you know what happens? They disciple me. I receive instruction, I receive encouragement from them as well. So how do we disciple others to follow Jesus? Let me give you three quick things. Be sound in your doctrine and life. It starts there. You be sound, healthy in your own doctrine and life. Strive to live according to the qualities that Paul lists here for older men and older women. Grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Grow in your delight in God's truth and in his word. You can't train others in what you do not know. You can't offer instruction in life if you're not living according to that instruction. The second thing is this, we open up our lives to people. And this is the sticking point most of the time. Because opening our lives isn't really easy. And especially when we open up our lives to other people, guess what, that gets messy fast. We don't want to give the time. We don't want to give the resources. We don't want to, to make obeying Jesus' command a priority in our own life. We don't want to be vulnerable in front of people. We don't want to be humble. And I'm talking about the discipler and the disciple. We all struggle with being open, with being honest. But guess what? Everybody in this room is a sinner. Everybody in this room stands in need of a savior. And I believe everybody, at least that's gathered here today, has come today because you've recognized Jesus is the savior that you so desperately need. We have to learn to be open with our lives. We have to learn to invite other people in and be vulnerable. Stop being so selfish. Third, we have to open up the Bible. Discipleship doesn't happen based on your wisdom. You may be a very wise person, but in the, in the nature of following Jesus and the discipleship that we're talking about, 
we need to hear from him. And we need to share who he is and what he says with other people around us. We need to pray with others. You may be able to study a book on a particular topic that would help engage. It doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, it just, just has to be consistent. I think that's the real issue. I was reading this week and there was a, a missionary and his church was growing rapidly and he was trying to disciple new converts and, and he had a new convert who he was wanting to partner with somebody so he could just read through scripture. And he grabbed a guy and said, hey, how much of the scriptures have you read? And the guy said, I've read the Gospel of Matthew. He's like, Good, you've read more than this guy, so you're gonna start reading with him. That's discipleship. You know more than him, then come alongside and, and read through and encourage him, and you grow together. And we have to grow in this much-needed grace as a church. You know, in the Old Testament, time and time again, we read the story how Israel failed to, to pass who Yahweh was and what Yahweh had done to the next generation, and we always wag our heads like, man, these guys were nuts. What was wrong with them? How could they fail in that? Yet we do the same thing. The church is bleeding out the younger generation at an alarming rate. We have to do better in teaching the next generation about Jesus and the difference he can make in their lives. I don't mean to knock these things, but, but we'll spend hours with our kids, training them for sport. Every week, training them for academics. Every week, training them in some other hobby. We let them spend hours being entertained, gaming. How much time do we spend instructing them? and who Christ is and what he's done for them. Guys, this is why I'm so thankful for what's happening downstairs right now. I'm thankful for what happens during our Awana Club because those kids are learning scripture. They're being instructed in God's word. I'm thankful for what Josh and Jesse do with our students every Sunday night, except not tonight. <laughs> They open up God's word and they offer instruction. As a church, we're, we're trying to think through as we're growing, how can we do better at this? How can we be more faithful in discipling, not, not just maybe the next generation that's behind, but even us as a whole. We don't want people to fall through the cracks. We wanna make sure that we're helping people follow Jesus faithfully. And so how will we engage in the work of making disciples of Jesus? It starts with our own faithfulness in following Jesus. And then it begins as we look around and we see people think, how can I get involved in this person's life? How can I be an encouragement to this person? And we open up God's word. We pray with them. We pray for them. We need to respect our elders. We need to grow in the qualities that Paul lists here. We need, these are Christ-like qualities. And, and older saints, we need you to grow in these. And we need to teach these qualities to others as well. We need to teach them what it is to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. Matter of you, that, this, this that we've talked about, this is how we shine as lights in a world of darkness. This is how we act as salt 
in a decaying culture. I want to give you just a moment to pray. Then I'm going to pray for us. We got a couple other things that we're going to do before we dismiss. Just want to share a few things with you that's coming up this month. But I want to give you a moment to pray whatever prayer you need to pray. If you want somebody to pray with you, uh, just to my right, there's a prayer room. We'd be glad to join you in there, answer questions, pray for you. But I'm going to be quiet so that we might pray. Father, my mind catalogs through so many people. Parents, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, widow ladies, widowed men. Who finished well, who are finishing well. And for years they faithfully taught me and others the truth of the gospel. In this life, their names will never be known. We won't mention them like we mentioned Moses or John Wesley. God in eternity the crowns will be many because the fruit of their faithfulness remains and God I so want that for our older saints Lord I want for them to be faithful in discipling us to be faithful in passing the truth to the next generation to, to end well and so I pray for that. I pray for them. I'm thankful for the ones who are here who serve us so well with their wisdom. And I pray that, Lord, you would continue to grow that. And, and for those of us who are in younger generations and we're, we're growing up, may we learn from them as they're learning from Jesus. So that we may, as it says in Psalms, praise you and pass that praise along from one generation to the next. So God, help us to be a church that honors our elders. Help us to be a church who is faithful in discipleship. Give us wisdom in this area. We have many questions, but we're thankful. We're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for your word. And so we just pray now your blessing on any commitments that we've made, on any decisions that we've um, decided in our, in our minds between us and you any sin that's been repented of that we would walk away and so thank you for our time thank you for your word it's in jesus name we pray